We are taking a deep dive on Wednesday nights in this little book called Jude. Man, this is a fiery little book. It's the second to last book in your Bibles. I invite you to turn there with me. Be looking at verses 8 through 11 this morning or this evening. It's funny. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we're here this evening, Lord, wanting to hear from you, wanting to learn from you. We want to see the warnings. We want to hear the truth. Lord, shield us from the lies. Open our understanding, Father. I pray that we would be reminded again of the great importance of submission to you. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, you remember that this letter is an urgent call to action. Jude wrote this, calling all hands on deck. He called all of the Christians in his day and age to contend earnestly for the faith, and that calling is still true for us Christians today. Contend earnestly for the faith. Fight for it. Defend it. Champion it. All of the faith, all of the Nest Testament truth, as you find recorded in the New Testament, everything about the gospel, fight for it, contend Never stop. Why? Because there are wolves in every age of the church, way back beginning in the first part of the church. There were false teachers, false prophets, apostates, wolves seeking to deceive people away from the truth. And so this book is a call to defend that faith in every generation. And you'll notice that most of this book describes these false teachers, these apostates, and the different uh, doctrines, false doctrines that they teach. Most all of the book gives characteristics of these false teachers. Jude wants us to be able to identify them, to be aware of them, so that we can steer clear of them and defend the faith against them. So tonight, I want to look at a few more characteristics of these false teachers, these apostates, and there's one characteristic that I'm going to really zoom in on. Look at verse 8, describing these apostates. He says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So he calls these false teachers, first of all, dreamers. They're dreamers. And that can mean a couple of things. It can mean that these folks live in a dream world. They don't live in the real world. They have these empty, vain opinions that matter nothing. They don't live in the solid basis of truth and reality. They're dreamers. But it could also mean that these are 
false teachers who love to deceive others with dreams and visions. These are the ones that have all the dreams. They come along and they say, the Lord gave me a dream. The Lord gave me a vision. And they deceive many people that way. Be careful. Have you ever met that person? It seems like they have a dream from the Lord every night. And I want to ask, are they eating pizza every night? Now, does the Lord still give dreams and visions? Absolutely. I've had dreams. I've had visions. But not every week. Those come at very key moments. So you be careful of the one that's always having dreams and visions and trying to teach you some new... By the way, if somebody has a dream and vision and it is contrary to what we have in the written word of God, it's to be rejected. So false teachers are dreamers. Notice also, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. They defile the flesh. They corrupt the flesh. The idea here is that false teachers will always be those who would make light of holy Christian living. They defile the flesh. There were some false teachers in the early part of church history called Gnostics, and they taught that the the, the realness of people was their spirit. And so the body meant nothing. And you could do whatever you wanted with your body. Didn't matter. And so people would do all kinds of sinful things with their body. That's corrupting the flesh. These also are the ones, as as he says in verse 4, they turn the grace of God into lewdness. They turn the grace of God into lewdness. False teachers will often teach a license. You know, God's a God of grace. Doesn't matter what you do. He's going to forgive you. He loves you. Do whatever you want. Very popular teaching. It's false. Beware of anyone who makes light of holy Christian. Because listen, the Lord wants you to live a holy life. It is by the grace of God that he saved us. And he saved us out of the life of lewdness, right? Not that we'd go back to it. He's transformed us. He's changed us. And it's by the grace of God that we live a life that's filled with thanksgiving to him. We want to live a life that pleases him. We don't want to take advantage of grace. Grace is the motivator for what makes us want to live holy. So be very aware of those false teachers. They dream. They're the dreamers. They defile the flesh. And then look at this. This is the one I really want to camp on. They reject authority. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh and reject authority. Now, this is very important. False teachers hate authority. This word, reject, in the Greek, it's a word that speaks of spurning, abolishing displacing, absolutely getting rid of. The false teachers hate authority. They reject it. 
Authority is the Greek word koreotis. We get another word kurios, which is lord. Koreotis means lordship. They reject lordship. They hate all forms of authority. They don't like any authority within society, which God has set in place. They reject the authority of the written word of God. They reject reject the authority of God. In fact, it says in verse 4, they turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are people that don't think they're accountable to God. They don't have to be submissive to God. They don't have to be submissive to legitimate church leaders, the Bible, their loose canons. They live their lives like this. Rebels. Fists in the air. Rejecting all authority other than their own self-sanctioned authority. They're a God to themselves. That's what they preach. And in that sense, they are just like Satan. Satan rejected authority out of pride. Satan tried to usurp the position of God. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. And this is the lie that Satan has been promoting since the very beginning. You don't have to have an authority under God. You can be your own God. I mean, you go right back to Genesis chapter 3. When we were tempted, Adam and Eve, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, that's what the devil does. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Did God indeed say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like whom? You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan encourages self-autonomy. It is demonic and satanic to think you're not accountable to God. You're your own God. And Satan has ripped so many people off. And his agents operate that way. Utterly rejecting any authority. From this position of rejecting authority, notice it says at the end of verse 8, and they speak evil of dignitaries. That's a false teacher. They speak evil of dignitaries. Very interesting phrase. To speak evil is the Greek word blasphemo. Literally means they blaspheme. They mock. Dignitaries, very interesting, is the Greek word doxa, where we get glory. And it usually refers to the glorious ones, the shining ones. The ones deserving of honor. They mock those dignitaries. 
Now, there's different ways that this has been thought of. Some believe that it's referring to angels. These people don't care about angels. The good or the bad. They mock them. They blaspheme them. In the Bible, sometimes the word angel is used to speak of Christian leaders. Jesus wrote a letter to the angel of the different churches in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. The angel thought to be the pastor of those churches. So these people speak evil of legitimate Christian leaders. These false teachers, no doubt, blasphemed and mocked Paul the Apostle, Peter the Apostle, and the rest. Refusing to be under submission to their authority. The glorious one, it can also refer to Christ. They blaspheme Christ. And then it can also speak of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And by the way, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Very serious business. Jesus said this. In Matthew 12, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus says, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Did you know that there's one unforgivable sin? And that one unforgivable sin is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mocking, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now what exactly does that mean? The Holy Spirit is sent to convict, to draw people to Jesus, to get them to understand the gospel. Blaspheming, rejecting the Holy Spirit is blaspheming his message, his desire to move you towards Christ. And if you fail to do that, if you fail to move to Christ and give your life to him and receive the gospel as the Holy Spirit, then you've committed the unforgivable sin. You know why? If you reject Jesus, you reject the solution for all of your sins going away. So this is very, very serious stuff. These false teachers hate authority. They reject it. They live their lives with their fists up. And they seek to cause other people to do the same. Gang, the rejection of authority is the mark of a false teacher. You know what the mark of a real teacher is? Submission. Submission to authority. Rejection of authority is satanic. Submission to authority is life. Every single person who is a true Christian has to submit. You have to fall on your face before the Lord helplessly and say, Lord, I can't save myself. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And rising again. Freedom and power and life 
and joy is found in submission. The enemy says, no, you don't need it. The enemy lies. Freedom and joy and power is found in submission. And so we are to be those who would surrender every single area of our lives to the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, living in absolute surrender. That's the way to live. Everyone who truly belongs to the Lord will have that humility to them, that surrender to them. Even up to the toppest angel in the ranks of the angels. The toppest angels, the good angels, the best angels, they're humble, they're submissive. In fact, Jude is going to mention one of the most powerful angels... In all of the angel realms, verse 9, notice what he says, very interesting verse. Yet Michael, the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, isn't that a bizarre verse? When Moses died, something happened with his body. And according to this verse, Michael, the archangel, and the devil contended over the body of Moses. Yet in that fight, in that contention... Michael, the archangel, didn't overstep his bounds. He submitted himself to the Lord and said, the Lord rebuke you. And so he's given a good example here. If even Michael, the archangel, is submissive, so should we be. And even respectful and mindful of the power of the enemy. You know, I have to tell you, there are some people, they run around cussing out the devil. Have you ever heard them? I bind you, devil. I step on you, devil. And they almost treat the devil like this. Hey, listen, we have victory in Jesus Christ. But when Satan comes knocking to my door, I'm sending Jesus to answer. And I'm, I'm hiding behind him. Michael the archangel did that. There was a respect. There was a place of submission and humility. Now, interesting story. Michael the archangel and the devil fighting over the body of Moses... Where in the world did you get this? You won't find it anywhere else in the Bible. Now, all of the details surrounding the death of Moses are very secretive. They are mysterious. Let me show you what it does say in Deuteronomy concerning the death of Moses. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab... 
according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. No one knows his grave to this day. The Lord buried Moses. He, capital H. When Moses died, the Lord buried him in a secret location. That's what that text is saying. Now that's that's strange, isn't it? Why would the Lord do that? Well, a lot of people say they wanted to keep he wanted to keep Moses' uh, grave secret, knowing that it would become a shrine, a place of worship. People would come and worship Moses. So he kept, I don't know. I think it has something to do with the future, what God had in store for Moses in the future. You know, Moses shows up again in the New Testament, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And I also believe Moses will show up again. I think he's one of the two spies in Revelation chapter 11. Something about the, the body of Moses. I don't know. But it's a secret location. God's hand was involved in it. Now Jude comes along and gives us a little more detail. God sent Michael the archangel to do this, to get the body, to bury it. There was a fight with Satan. The Lord rebuked Satan. Moses' body was hid. Where did Jude get that information? Where did that story come from? Well, I think the most satisfying answer and the easiest answer would be that the Holy Spirit gave him that information. The spirit who moved him to write this very epistle gave him that extra information about this fight between Michael and Satan. So that could be a good example. This is something that Jude found out later, and this is adding to the account in Deuteronomy. But there's also another one, and I really need you to hear this. There's another possibility, and this might freak you out. It is very possible that Jude was referencing a story that had been handed down throughout the ages in Jewish tradition and recorded in an extra-biblical book, a book outside the Bible. That's very possible. Jude... Referencing to some story and tradition. It's very important to understand this. There are some mysterious books that pretend to be scripture. In fact, there are two groups of very mysterious books that pretend to be scripture. The first one you've probably all heard of. Have you all heard of the Apocrypha? Now, these were books that were written between 400 B.C. and 0 A.D. They were written towards, in the time that we call the silent years, the time between Old and New Testament. And I mentioned, I I put some of them up there, first and second Estres, I'm looking on the right, the letter of Jeremiah, the prayer of Azariah, Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, prayer of Manasseh, these books exist. You can find them and you can read them. On the left, 
Tobit, Judith, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, and Baruch. Now, what's interesting about the ones on the left is that you will find those in Catholic Bibles. It's the Apocrypha. You won't find them in Protestant Bibles. Protestants have rejected those, and for very good reasons, I'm not going to take you through, I personally agree that they should not be a part of Scripture, although I believe that you can get a lot of good insight from them. First and Second Maccabees gives you a lot of information about the Maccabean Revolt and all these different things. But I agree with Martin Luther, who said, Apocrypha, that is, books which are not regarded as equal to the Holy Scriptures and yet are profitable and good to read. So there's that group. Then there's another group called the Pseudepigrapha. The Pseudepigrapha. Now, this is a collection of bizarre books that were written somewhere between 200 BC and 300 AD. So, 300 years into AD after Christ. They are false writings. The Catholic Bibles reject them. Protestants reject them. They've never been a part of Scripture. They've never even been a part of the discussion. They're fanciful. They're legends. Pseudo means false writings. These are books that attempt to imitate Scripture but were written under false names. And there's a bunch of them. I just put a list. Just, there's all kinds of them. They're out there again. You can read them. Testament of Hezekiah, 1st and 2nd Enoch, the book of Noah, Testament of Abraham, Testament of Job, Acts of Paul, Gospel according to Thomas, the epistles of Barnabas, the assumption of Moses. There's this whole group of these weird books out there that are false and they attempt to mimic, mimic the scripture. Well, as it turns out, most people think that that story between Michael the archangel fighting the devil was originally accorded in the Assumption of Moses. The pseudopigrapha. So wait a minute. Jude quoted from that? Did he quote from a tradition? Very likely that he did. In fact, look down at verse 14 real quick. Jude writes, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. He quotes from Enoch. That quote is not found in the Bible. It's not found in Genesis. You know what it says about Enoch? He walked with the Lord and then he was no more. But, first and second Enoch, you can find that tradition. So, this might really mess with you. 
But don't let it. Just because Jude quoted from these two books doesn't mean that they're inspired. It doesn't mean. You should also know about these books that they were well read. They were secular. If there were a, you know, a top ten on the readers list in those days, these were widely circulated. People read these. Why in the world did Jude quote from them? He was being a really good preacher. He was borrowing from secular literature. Not to say that that secular literature is divine, but that even in secular literature, you can find reinforcement for biblical truth. His point, his argument would be like this. Rejection of authority is to be avoided. Submission to authority, humility, that is what's elevated in the Bible. According to your own literature, the archangel Michael was submissive, was humble. So that's what he's doing. By the way, Paul the Apostle did the same thing. Acts chapter 7, Paul is in Athens, where all the philosophers are, and all the gods are. Remember, all the, he walked Athens and he saw all the statues. And at one point, he gets to speak to the philosophers of Athens. And we read in verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopas and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. That city was so religious, they had so many statues. They even had a statue to a god that they might have forgotten. And they call that statue the statue to the unknown god. Paul notices that, and he goes with that. He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. I love that. He took a statue, a work of art in a pagan city, and bounced off that to preach the truth. And he goes on. He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, quote, we also are his offspring, close quote. Paul quoted from a pagan secular Greek poet. What was he doing? Was he saying that Greek secular poet, that work of poet, was that divine? No, he was quoting from a secular book that reinforced what he was teaching them from a biblical principle. Guys, I do that. I quote secular psychiatrists. I quote from scientists sometimes. You know, I've even quoted from Vogue magazine. Does that mean Vogue magazine is divinely inspired? No, it speaks of someone who's in touch with God's word and in touch with what people are reading. 
It's a beautiful way to make truth come alive. So I think that's all that's going on here. Don't worry about it. Now, it's very true that this story could be real. Maybe it happened. I don't know. I wasn't there. Were you there? Maybe Jude did get information about what happened with the body of Moses. Or maybe he is speaking about a tradition. Either way, what's the point that's being made? Rebellion bad. Right? Rejection of authority. Ugly. Submission. Good. The way of life. So, mark that. False teachers will have this air of rebellion about them. You'll know, you can tell the difference between them and the true teachers who are submitted to authority. Be on the lookout for that. Now, it is a horrible thing to reject authority. It leads to no good. Look what it says in verse 10 of these guys. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So the language here is these guys almost become animalistic. They live on an animalistic plane. What they don't understand, they mock. And what they do understand, they corrupt themselves in. And so the idea is, since they reject authority, thinking that they're so enlightened and free, they actually become like animals. They actually go and live life in a lower plane. And gang, listen, that's what happens when you remove authority. When you remove authority, you're going to have chaos. You're going to have death. You're going to have all kinds of ugliness. Uh, You know, a lot of people say, I wish we could live lives, you know, without any government. It's just anarchy. Oh, I don't think you'd like anarchy. Go live in Mogadishu for a couple years. Find out how much you like anarchy when there's no authority. We had a wonderful lunch the other day with a guy who's a pastor in South Korea. And he has contacts with folks in North Korea. 90% of the population over there are dying of starvation. It's desperate. They're, getting, they're trying to get across the border, not to escape, just to get jobs. Just to get money to get back and feed their, their family. Oh, without authority, there is ugliness And without authority to God, there's great ugliness. I think of some of the things we've done in our schools just recently, you know, uh, taking creation, taking the Bible out, taking prayer out, teaching evolution. Now, if you're teaching kids that they came from animals, 
Why do you get upset when they start acting like animals? Why? When you remove God, you remove all the incentive and the motivation. Sounds so enlightened, but it leads to such travesty. In verse 11, Jude gives three examples from the Old Testament of where rejection of authority leads. Look at verse 11. Woe to them. That's very strong. Woe to these people. For they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Three Old Testament examples. Story of Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. Cain was the very firstborn to Adam and Eve. His next brother, next boy was born. His name was Abel. You remember this story? And they both brought their sacrifices before the Lord. Abel was a tender of sheep. Uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground. They brought their, their sacrifices unto the Lord. Cain brought fruit. Abel brought from the sheep. And it says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. Cain got ugly mad. Jealous. God said to him, hey, you better be careful. You better do what's right. Sin is crouching at the door. And Cain, in a jealous rage committed the first homicide in all of history, and it happened to be fratricide. He killed his brother. And you know where it all started? Rejection of authority. God had told them what type of sacrifice to give. He said, I'll do things my own way. And you know what? When you reject God's authority, it just gets worse and worse and worse. You can find yourself in places like you can't believe. He murders his brother. God comes to him and says, hey, where's your brother after the deed? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? This ugly, ugly, pitiful. I'll never forget the story I heard of a man who finally came to Christ after years of rebellion. Years of rebellion. He said, I do not believe in God. I can do things my way. I'm going to do things my way. On and on and on. I don't care what he says. This is my life. And then one day he woke up skin and bones in his own vomit and filth. In a crack house. In a ghetto. Looking up at a ceiling that's falling apart. And he said, how did I get here? How did I get here? And at that point, he began turning to God. Rebellion, thinking you can do it your own way, it leads to death, leads to ugliness. He says, they've gone the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the era era of Balaam. Another great story, uh, Balaam was a prophet. He was a true prophet of the Lord. He also was a hire a prophet. You could call up, you could dial 1-800-HIRE-A-PROPHET. And Balaam would answer, hey, I'm open for business. And he'd, you could, 
you could pay them off to give prophecies. Well, Israel, and they're all coming into the land, and the king of Moab, a guy by the name of Balak, says, I'm going to hire a prophet, calls up Balaam, says, I'm going to pay you. Get up on the hill and curse that nation of Israel. And Balaam goes for it. The only problem is when he tries to open his mouth to curse Israel, what happens? He can bless them. He can only bless them. So he opens his mouth, he blesses them, and then the king goes, dude, I'm paying you to curse them. Four times that happens. Four times. Finally, Balaam walks away, but he does come up with another insidious plan. He says, if you really want to get at Israel, Mr. King of Moab, send all your Moabite women into the camp. Seduce the men, get them into a relationship, and that will draw them away, and that will take care of it. And they did it. And it did create all kinds of nightmares within the nation of Israel. How did Balaam end up? Well, Balaam ended up being killed by Joshua's forces when they moved into the promised land. Here's a guy who was a true prophet but rejected the authority. And what was his big hang-up? This is, this is important. Money. 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 A lot of people refuse to submit to the Lord because they're serving their other God money. Money, money, money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. By the way, many false teachers, that's what they're motivated by. Money. Beware of any Religious leader, he's always trying to rip you off financially. Be, see it, man. Be discerning. Watch out for that garbage. That guy on TV, he says, man, send me a hundred bucks and God's going to give you a thousand bucks. Write him a letter and say, you send me a hundred bucks. And see if God gives you a thousand bucks. See if you get that a hundred bucks. Watch out. Be discerning. And then there's that final story from the Old Testament. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. This is a terrible event found in Numbers uh, 16. Guy by the name of Korah begins to challenge Moses and his authority. Gathers a whole bunch of people and says, Moses, who put you in charge? We could do better. I'll be your, you know, I'll, I'll take your place. And, and Moses is like, okay. They have this big gathering and there's a line that's set. And Moses says, those with me over here. And those with Korah over here. And though, it didn't go very well for those with Korah. The Bible says the earth opened and swallowed them up. And anyone else who tried to run away was struck with fire. Whoa. Again, your fist at the authority that God has put in place. 
It all goes wrong. It all goes bad. So be that. Amen? Be that. Be humble. Submit to God. Submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. If you have given your life to Jesus, but you're holding things back, I promise you, you'll have trouble in those areas in life that you hold back from the Lord. Those will become sore spots for you. Much better to surrender all of your life. By the way, you were created to know God. God was meant to be your authority. And God has great plans for you. Now and forever. And nobody loves you more. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you put your faith and trust in him and you are forgiven. You become a brand new person. Live in submission to him. Let him bless you. Don't buy the garbage out there that says you're your own person. Your own authority. Do life your way. No, do, God, do life God's way. Let's pray for that. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for Lord, these incredible reminders that we find all over your word. Lord, you're the master. We're the servants. And we're delighted to serve you. We're delighted. Lord, we respect you. We respect your word. We respect your spirit. We respect your leadership. In submitting to you, Lord, wholeheartedly, we're trusting you with every area of our life. So here it is, Lord. Take our, take our hearts, take our lives, take our dreams, our aspirations, take everything. Be our authority. And so fill us with your spirit. Take our lives and use them for your glory. Maybe you're here tonight and you have not yet humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to be your Lord and Savior. Bible's very clear. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all fallen short. We all need to be saved. And salvation comes through surrender. Admitting to Jesus that you need him. 
thanking him that he died on the cross for you and rose again. He paid the price for you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. If you haven't received him, do right now, humble yourself. Submit to his authority in your life. Relinquish control of your life to him. If that's you, just just cry out from your, Lord, I relinquish control of my, my life. I give you my heart. I fall before you. I surrender. I submit. Save me. Wash away all my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Change me from this day forward. Help me to follow you. And surrender every area of my life to you. Trusting you with every area. In Jesus' name, amen.